Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. I'd like to welcome everybody who's watching online. Let's give them a hand. Welcome. Hey, if you're within 50 miles of, uh, of Activation Church, we'd love to have you come out. That's 50 miles. He usually says 10, but if you're within 50 miles, come on out. We'd love to have you. We have many families that'd love to meet you. So let's do that. Uh, we've been in a, a, a series called James, James's Greatest Hits, and we've done this series a couple of times, and every time something new comes out. So if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to James, the third chapter. I'm going to give you a little bit of background before we get started. I know we've talked about these things before, but I'm going to do it again because this is what I like to do. So... We've, we've covered wisdom, we've covered temptation, and we've covered making your mist matter. And today we're going to cover some other things that James has told us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But first, I want to talk about James and just lay the landscape of what he's going through right now. So James is the half-brother of Jesus. We see this, and you're not going to be able to keep up with me because I'm going to go really fast through some verses, and I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm just going to tell you where it is. So if you want to go back and listen to it and find it, you can. So James is the half-brother of Jesus. We see this in Matthew 13, 55 through 56. We see it in Galatians 1.19, and we see it in Acts 1.14. They all affirm that Jesus and James are related, and he's the half-brother of Jesus. So James initially doubted Jesus' claims. I mean, can you figure that? He initially doubted that Jesus was the Son of God. And we see this in Mark 3.10. It says, for Jesus, he, for he had healed many. So that all who had diseases pressed in around him to touch him. But whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down at his feet and cried out, You are the Son of God. So even the demons cried out, Wow, this is Jesus, the Son of God. And they were scared. And so in Mark 3.21, we see uh, when his family heard all that he was doing throughout the town, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, He's out of his mind. Now, can you imagine? He's, he's got crowds all around him. They're hanging out with him. They're getting healed. They're touching him. The diseases are leaving, and his family is saying he's out of his mind. In Mark 6, 3, uh, Jesus' hometown took offense to him, and this is including his family. In Mark 6, 4, he's quoted as saying, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among what? His relatives and his own household. So James initially doubted Jesus' claims to be God in flesh, which is understandable. When you're hanging out, like Pastor Arm said, when you're hanging out with your brother in the bunk beds late at night. You know what I'm saying? So, but James' family also were eyewitnesses to Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus was crucified, murdered openly and shamefully. And they were a witness to this because of his claims to be God in flesh. So James saw Jesus crucified and then he saw him risen. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15th chapter, verses 3 through 7. He says, For I deliver to you this of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, and he has raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, this is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, And then he appeared to James. So he made a special occasion to visit with James, his half-brother. And then 
to the apostles. So James is a credible witness to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And so this led James to have faith that Jesus was who he said he was. It solidified his faith that Jesus was the risen Lord. Now James believes that Jesus is God in flesh and that he died for our sins. So James's whole world turns around. James's whole world turns around from just having a brother to having a savior. It's interesting. So now James believes that Jesus is God in flesh and that he conquered sin and death. So this leads James to become a very highly respected apostle and leader in the Jerusalem church, which we see in Acts, the 15th chapter. Not only that, he had a great voice in the Jerusalem council. He was very well respected. So James's letter that we're reading through right now is believed to be one of the earliest epistles written. James was writing from Jerusalem under Roman law, under Roman rule, to the Jewish Christian house churches dispersed through, throughout Palestine. So James wrote some, some very early Christians. They had some very early problems in the church. You know, when you start a church, you start having a few problems here and there. And that's what James was seeing through these house churches. They were in poverty, under persecution. And as a result of these trials and these conflicts within the church and their worldly lifestyle, James decides to pen his letter. So James tackles a lot of important issues, which we've covered some of them. But he covers trials, poverty, riches, partiality, wisdom, temptation, stewardship, suffering, and faith. But weaved in with all of these chapters, starting with 1, 3, and 5, he weaves in there the power of the tongue. And I find it interesting that God has asked me to do this, because (laughs) if anybody knows, we all have problems wrangling our own tongue, right? So this is an important subject. He, he, he shows us the power of the tongue and the dangers of the tongue. And his primary theme is that faith that does not produce works is dead. Hence, faith without works is dead. But he also tells us, how, how do we put our faith into action? We put our faith into action through our bodies, right? But he's telling us, that our tongue directs our bodies. So we're going to look at two sections of James, and I know it's ambitious, but we're going to look at two sections of James, starting in the third chapter, where he talks about the dangers of the tongue. Let's start there in verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. And immediately, that's me at this point. (laughs) So... Let's just pray for me. For we know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Super. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. So right off the bat, in verse 1, he's already showing us that our tongue is bridled, bridles our whole body. I mean, I'm, a, I'm only assuming that James is likely thinking of Jesus here because he's the only perfect sinless man when he says, you know, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. But right off the bat, he's showing us that our tongue directs our bodies. 
Verse 3 says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet boasts of great things. If we go back to James, the first chapter, in the 26th verse, he says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So this is James just weaving throughout each chapter, throughout each one of these subjects that he's talking about with these churches that are dispersed in Palestine and to us now, that the power of the tongue is something we should look at. So the bit of a horse and a small rudder on a ship are examples of how very small things can control very large things. Does anybody in here like uh, to go back and look at like World War II stuff and World War I stuff? Yeah, we got all four of you. We're going to look at something real quick. It's called the Bismarck. Look at this beast. This is a German ship. It's not a very good picture, sorry. But this is a German ship. This is a large ship. It's called the Bismarck. In World War II, the Bismarck was the pride of the German Nazi Navy, stretching 30, uh, 823 feet. It was the largest battleship of its time, and it carried eight guns with shells 15 inches across. That's a big shell. I mean, could you imagine? This technology, show them the next one. This, this technology, that's scary. And this thing was devastating. So it had 15 inches across. The, the shells were 15 inches across. The onboard targeting radar was so precise that it sank the HMS Hood, the pride of the Royal Navy, in a single shot. One shot. Its only weakness was a small rudder. On May 26, 1941, the British Royal Navy disabled the Bismarck with a single torpedo with a direct hit disabling the rudder. After a barrage of shell fire and a tor uh, with a torpedo, the German battleship was sunk on May 27th. This is just an example of how a small rudder on a large ship, like the tongue, can be its weakness and its destruction of the whole body. So the tongue, it's one of the smallest organs in our body, but it also has similar control every, over everything a person is and does. So continuing with James, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We know this. If you took a match and you went out to a dry forest and you dropped it, it's just a little match, but you can cause great destruction. It's the same with our tongues. And the tongue is a fire. This gets me right here. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. And I think here he's referring to the church. Our tongues can stain the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And this is interesting as well, and set on fire by hell. So the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. He's saying the tongue expresses all the wickedness of the world. But don't forget, James is talking to Christians. He's writing to Christians. Evil speech destroys because it comes from Satan himself. That's what he's telling us. 
Proverbs 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. In Romans 3, Paul quotes the Psalms when he's referring to the Jews and the Greeks, which would also be the Gentiles. Romans 3, 10 through 18 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. And let's see what he says about the mouth. The throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Now, he goes on to tell us what these mouths produce. A mouth of poison. He says... Their feet are swift to shed blood. In the paths, in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So the smallest of words can have the greatest consequences. James 3:7. He says. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed. I love that. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You see how all these writers are coming together and they're saying the same thing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at different time periods in different places? They're all saying our mouths are full of poison. The the thing I like the, the most about this, though, is that every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Matter of fact, I brought a clip to show you guys. Brady, you want a treat? You got to sit. He's a good dog. Brady. Sit. Can you speak? Speak. It's a good dog. Brady. Can you do a spin? It's a good dog. There you go. Brady. Lay down. Lay down. Good doggy. Here you go. Brady. Roll over. Here, shake, 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 shake. Come on. Is a good dog? Okay, lay down and roll over. Lay down and roll over. Roll over. Roll over. There you go. So see, I proved you can tame a beast. See? So we can tame all these beasts, but we can't even tame our tongue. Actually, the end of the video that I actually wanted to do would, would, was going to be me falling and then just beeping out a lot of beep and then saying, you know, I can't prove, you know, you can't tame the tongue, you know. But I thought, I thought, eh, we won't go that far. I'll just explain it. So we can tame beasts, but we can't tame our tongue. Verse 9, he continues. He says, with it. We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. 
This is the height of hypocrisy. To, to, to bless the Lord in, in, in one place and then to curse those who are made in the image of God over here. This is evil. It's a deadly poison is what James is telling us. You see, and the enemy uses our tongues. That's the problem. That's what he's saying. It's from hell. And so the enemy would like nothing more than to divide each and every one of us. He wants to divide and conquer, right? He wants to turn race against race. He wants to turn men against women. He wants to turn parents against children, the young against the old, rich against the poor, healthy against the sick. This is his plan. We must no longer allow Satan to use our tongues as weapons. Verse 11 says, does a, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The curses and the blessings can't come from the same place. It's unnatural. Jesus teaches this exact same thing in Luke 6 chapter in the 43rd verse. He says, for no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs, exact same fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Nor grapes picked from the bramble bush. I don't know what a bramble bush is, but Jesus does. The good, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the true nature of our hearts can often be seen by the way we speak. Matthew 12, 36 says it this way, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's scary. That's scary. That's scary for me. I mean, I can't speak to whatever you guys are going through and what you've said, but that's scary, man. Every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So, are we producing bad fruit or are we producing good fruit? What are we speaking? The question is, is what should we be speaking? If the tongue can bring great destruction, it can also bring great restoration. So, this is what we're going to skip over to James 5. Because he's weaving all this together, starting in the 13th verse. He said, is anyone among you suffering? Come on. That includes everyone. Am I wrong? Look at the world. Look at what's happening. Look at, I, I, this, this has been a hard week, man. This has been a hard week. Family members, I know we all have family members that are suffering in some way, right? Parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters. So he's including everyone in this very first line. Is anyone among you suffering? There's no excuse. We know people who are suffering. What does he say? He says, let him pray. This is what we should be doing with our tongues. This is a tongue action. Pray. We're living in a time in history where I believe that prayer is the most important thing that we can do. 
<clears throat> there is no great secret to prayer. There are no special words that have to be said during prayer. We are simply coming humbly before our Father God in heaven in conversation. So prayer is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. Prayer is simply communicating with God a conversation with a child and the Father. And the ultimate goal of prayer is to build a relationship with the Father. God is a living God. He is a present God. He is a relational God. And He is a personal God. And He wants to talk with His children. Prayer is simply speaking to God and listening to God. A lot of times when we come before God, we're just, you know what I'm saying? We don't really get a time to just listen. And he speaks to us through his spirit and through his word. So prayer is not really telling God anything he doesn't already know. It's, it's just inviting him into everything that we are, our situations, our life, our conversation. So, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus prayed, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before Jesus was taken to be crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed a similar prayer. A similar prayer. He said, My Father, if it is possible to let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he's simply aligning his heart with God's heart. That's all he's doing in prayer. He's aligning his heart with the Father's heart. And God knows our desires. We know that. And we know that worship is a corporate form of prayer. That's why we're always encouraging you to worship. Let's worship together. So what should we be doing with our tongues? James tells us right here. We could just basically read through it, and I'll show you, and you'll see it. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. It's an action of the tongue. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call. That's an action of the tongue for the elders of the church. And let him pray and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of, the, of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess. It's an action of the tongue. Your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Then he gives us a, a very good example of this. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, when we look at Elijah, we think of these great prophets as untouchable. But he's telling us he was a man with a nature like us. He wasn't perfect like Jesus. And he says, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Now, could you imagine? I'd be calling Elijah up and being like, brother, listen, I know you prayed the other day. And it hadn't rained in three years. And we're going to need you to go ahead and undo that. And he said it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So the prayers of a righteous person have great power as they are working. Our prayers have great power. What does Jesus say about our prayers? I like this. He says in John 14, 13 through 14, he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's power in your mouth. Aligning your heart with the Father's will. He says, I will do it. John 15, 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Mark eleven twenty four. this is all Jesus. These are quotes from Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. This is all echoing. James is echoing everything that Jesus has been teaching. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. So the tongue is a dangerous weapon in the hands of the enemy. But we have to align our hearts with God, and it becomes a tool used by God to tear down strongholds. How many of us have strongholds? You know you're not fighting against flesh and blood. I find it interesting that when people were coming to Jesus, those who had diseases and affirmities, that the spirits, the demonic spirits were crying out, you are the Son of God. Because they knew the strongholds were about to come down. So we have to learn how to allow God to use our tongues as a tool for blessing, encouragement, restoring one another, a tool for worship and praise, a tongue that is aligned with God's heart will bring heaven to earth, which is what Jesus was showing us. So what I want to do today is I want everyone to stand. Just before we invite our pastor up here to pray for you guys, I want everyone to stand. and We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Let's see if we can get it done in one shot. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Jesus' holy, precious name, amen. Let's put our hands together for Pastor Arm, would you? We thank Randy one more time for bringing the word this morning. Before we pray, I want to encourage you with this thought because many of you heard what he said about the power of the tongue and in your mind, just like in my mind, I'm going, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to control my mouth and you will not because you cannot. That's what James is getting at. He's saying, hey, the mouth is full of evil. The mouth has all this poison in it. The mouth does all this bad stuff. And guess what? You have no power over it. And you can say, I'm going to do better, and I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, and you never will. Even if you silence your mouth and sewed it shut, your heart would still be producing all the evil thoughts, which are just as bad as you releasing it. So what's the solution? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the cross-shaped life. It's me saying, God, I can't, but you can. So I give my life to you completely. I give my mind to you. I give my heart to you, and I surrender my mouth to you.
And we allow the Holy Spirit of God to begin to produce within us his fruit. And as that fruit is produced inside of us, that's what we begin to release. Does that make sense? And then the Holy Spirit puts us in check. When we say something we shouldn't say, the Holy Spirit goes, nope. When we do something we shouldn't do, the Holy Spirit goes, nope. And our job is just to come back to that place of surrender and say, not my will, but your will be done. Father, today we pray for every person in this place. We pray for every person who's watching online right now. And we ask that you would move in a mighty and a powerful way. We ask that you would touch them, Lord. Today, as we surrender our life to you, completely and holy we ask that you would do what only you could do holy spirit work inside of us to produce a life that is worthy of the call that you've called us to as sons and daughters of god lord if there's anyone who is suffering today god we ask that you would move in their life and touch them Lord, for those that have family members that are sick today, God, we ask that you would bring strength and healing and restoration to them. Father, for those who are struggling with addiction, God, we ask that you would break that addiction in their life. Show them a better way, Lord. Show them that they don't have to depend on a substance because they can depend on your spirit. And Lord, your spirit gives life. Your spirit gives peace. Your spirit gives joy. Your spirit gives ultimate satisfaction. Blood of Jesus, wash us and cleanse us today. We praise you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.